Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the uh, much delayed, much maligned for its tardiness anime world order podcast. This is show number 124. Show 123 was uh, back in January. It is now March. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. We are very on the ball here, especially because in show 123, we were talking about like how back on the schedule we were. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should ever, ever say that. It's, no. it's too variable. I guess last time we were talking about a really bad movie. Card subject to change, as it were. So I yeah. am, uh, just to remind everybody, we have to reintroduce ourselves to the people for the first time every subsequent episode that we put out. I am Daryl Surratt. I am Gerald Rathkolb. And I am Clarissa. All right. So on the Anime World Order podcast, we discuss Japanese animation, Japanese comics, and the like. Uh, when we actually get around to it. A lot of stuff has happened. What have you been up to? Since January, keeping in mind that the last time that we put out an episode, there was no Space Dandy on. That's true. We were looking forward to Space Dandy. This is a damn good season for anime like we're in right now. If in one season I have got three shows that I'm looking forward to, that's pretty good. And I'm watching uh, Space Dandy, uh, Kill la Kill, and Samurai Flamenco. Oh, okay. (laughs) Holy crap. Samurai Flamenco? Amazing. Those other two shows are great. Absolutely, I don't say anything bad about those other two shows. But Samurai Flamenco, that show just has the ability to completely turn itself around every episode. Like, if you watch that first episode... And you think, eh, whatever. I I know what this show's about. No, you don't. No, (laughs) not, not a clue. We have got to do a review of that show when it finishes up. I think, Clarissa, this is your thing. <laughs> I feel like Samurai Flamenco actually is what people were sort of like when they hold out and they keep watching certain shows to see if things mm. turn around. Like, uh. they're expecting them to do what Samurai Flamenco does every other episode. And it does it so well. Like, the big problem <laughs> with all anime series, every one of them out there, is the two-thirds slump. Mm-hmm. They know how to begin, they know how to end, but in the middle... Sometimes, yeah. The people it, who make Samurai Flamingo just solve that problem by every once in a while just going, eh, fuck it! We're gonna be a new show now. Yeah. We're gonna completely change the genre. There we go. It's the Inferno Cop approach. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, that is not in the least bit denigrating um, Space Dandy or Kill a Kill. Those are both terrific shows, too. No, yeah. Yeah, I do not want to, you know, say that those shows are any less worth watching. So what have you been up to otherwise, other than Samurai Flamenco, for the last two months? Ah, a lot of games. Keeping with the Asian theme, I'm playing Shadow Warrior, the non-racist version (laughs) of it. Or I should say the less racist version of it, (laughs) I was about to say. Less racist. They actually got an Asian guy to play the main character this time. That is a major step, I think. But yes, he is still called Lo Wang. (laughs) (laughs) but it's an excellent game i like that studio it's this weird eastern european studio flying hog i believe is the name 
and they tend to do these weird sort of old school styled shooters, like shooters that only people who played shooters in the 90s would like. Shooters that, you know, you don't get your health regenerated and you can carry around any number of weapons you can pick up. Things like that. Like they did Hard Reset. That's a little bit of what I'm doing. Oh yeah, just before I forget, Carl Horn has been working very hard and last year he put out a fantastic fanzine. It was on the 25th anniversary of The Wings of Oniamis, one of my absolute favorite anime movies ever. You should all go and check this out. I wrote for it, Aaron Finnegan wrote for it, all of your favorite anime writers and podcasters wrote for it. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, so please do check that out. Anyway, what about you guys? Oh, and been watching a lot of movies. <laughs> what was the last movie they saw? I watched World War Z, which was not my cup of tea. You mean it wasn't Man of Steel? It wasn't as faithful to the book as you would have preferred, Gerald? Uh, I didn't Your read the book. book? Oh. <laughs> I'm not a big zombie movie fan, so it's more like, why the hell did you even consider watching this? I thought Man of Steel was the last movie, or, or did you just erase that from your brain because it was so traumatic? I, I've kind of tried to erase it. That... <laughs> I didn't like Man of Steel at all, but it's one of those movies where it's interesting to me why I didn't enjoy it. It's not just a movie that I come out and I'm like, oh, that was boring or that was bland or whatever. Because I know, Daryl, you like that movie a lot. I also strongly dislike the Christopher Reeve Superman movies mm -hmm. and Superman Returns. And this is the antithesis of that. It is very much the opposite way. And I think when I look at them, I can't say that there's ever been a really, really great Superman movie, now that I kind of look at all of them. What about World's Finest? Oh, you're talking about, like, the animated the movie, cartoon, right? The cartoon, a.k.a. the real Superman. Right. The, the thing is, I, I guess I should say, like, theatrical movie. Like, in my opinion, the best Superman is the animated stuff. When I think of, like, what is the best Superman that's not in the comic book, that's the animated stuff. Where I say what is the best Superman that includes the comic books it's still the cartoon this also applies to batman <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that 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 is actually true as well yeah the, i think that the cartoon like justice league and i would even argue like the the 90s superman tv series was damn good although i will say regarding batman that little gotham is a very strong showing <laughs> i have read some of that so i have noticed that justice league dvd set has been sitting on your coffee table for about two years now how are you getting through that well, it's now on Netflix, which makes it much easier to watch. You don't have to go through that arduous task of, of putting the disc up. into the machine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a show that is very much stronger, certainly towards the end of the first season and getting into the second season. Like, they figure out what to do with Superman. Because what, you mean you don't just have him get knocked out immediately at the start of the yeah. fight? <laughs> I mean, by his nature, Superman is just such a towering force of just power that how does he need a team at all ever well he still can't be everywhere all the time no that's true and they make a point of that like some of the better episodes and the, some of the episodes that i like are the ones where superman is away like calming a planet down or something like that yeah. <laughs> and then it's the other guys that get a chance because mm -hmm. how can you put up a reasonable foe against superman yeah that's i think where i think a lot of the problem is is that it's not that this foe is particularly a problem for Superman. It's that this enemy is a problem for everybody else. <laughs> Who are you to doubt Michael Ironside and Eric Roberts? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you did not see The Wind Rises then. No, I did not. It is still in theaters here, and it's going pretty strong here. And I am planning on seeing it this weekend, hopefully. 
How about you, Clarissa? What are you up to? Um, work and thesis. And Walking Dead, the game. Oh, yeah, I actually did finally pick that up again, trying to finish it. I finished the main, like, first one. I'm playing the first DLC now, but I guess the second season is coming out. It's out now. Yeah, I should probably get that. Well, I don't know if all the episodes are out. No, but I, I know it started coming out. episode or two is out. Right. Yeah, so I guess I should get that. And most importantly, drilling to Michael, to not Michael Ironside, to... <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with to, drilling to Michael Ironside? I, I don't see anything wrong with that, but uh, drilling to Richard Armitage in, uh, in, Strike, in Strike Back. Back. Okay, at least it's not Richard Armitage in The Hobbit. <laughs> they, the secret they, is, they, it's they make both. Him, yeah, they make him like the jillable design as much as a bearded dwarf can be. <laughs> right. <It's> like, <laughs> yes. What is so dwarven about this guy? He is just a person. <laughs> But no, strike back. Tell me about your thoughts on this, since I've well, been sort of an advocate for it for a while. And we've only watched a couple episodes, it. but it's good so far. Only two episodes, and it's very funny as I watch the show, because the entire show is filmed, or at least everything that we've watched has been filmed in South Africa. Yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> And uh, Age of Ultron, they're starting to film that as well in South Africa. And it's really funny for me to watch, because, you know, having lived there... Anytime something is filmed in South Africa, it's specifically because you want an incredibly shitty looking place, like with abandoned buildings and really like rough streets and just make it look. Yeah, like no CG necessary yeah. no. to make it Mega City 1. No. Well, I mean, to be fair, Richard Armitage's <laughs> character in that show has like the worst job. So they're never going to send him to a nice place like you know, he's not James Bond. He doesn't get to go, like, to the posh, you know, five-star hotel. Like, they only send him to the shittiest places. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure there are nice places in South Africa. It's just he's not allowed to go there. I'm waiting for them to send him to, like, Cape Town or something that looks beautiful. But <laughs> it's always, like, Johannesburg or something. And it's not even the nice parts of Johannesburg. Right. We just put a camcorder and called this District 9. Yes. <laughs> so I'm now waiting for Age of Ultron. But now that I hear it's being filmed there, I'm like, okay, what incredibly shitty parts of the movie that are going to be filmed in slums? Right. I was unaware I'm of curious. that until you just mentioned it, but now I can just see the destruction that Thanos has wreaked. Or it's not even going to be Thanos. It's called Age of Ultron. It's, it's yeah. Ultron. Maybe Thanos will make an appearance. We, yeah, I think we they need see. another another cycle of movies to still build to him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think so. But uh, Strike Back is, uh, after only two episodes, it's a an interesting show. I like it. I think it's interesting because it feels like a very American type of show. Like, it doesn't really feel like a very British yeah, we show. Yeah, should, we should actually clarify. Like, Strike Back is this British show made for, I think, was it made for the BBC? Or it's not one the, of the BBC. Others? Okay. It's ITV or something like that, but it's a military show. It's basically England's equivalent to 24. Right, except without the yeah. like real time gimmick or Jag or something. It's like a it's it it's interesting like to see. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to see like the military 
side of it from a different perspective, mm. which you don't oftentimes see, because it is, you know, it's written by British people and it's all made for British people. It's for Sky. Anything goes on Sky. Oh, yeah. Anything. <laughs> yeah. I do appreciate that apparently it's in his contract that every episode Richard Armitage has to be like shortless. I'm shirtless, tied no, no, up. shortless and, is basically. <laughs> and, and tortured, <laughs> sometimes combinations of those at the same time. I'm pretty sure that this show was secretly designed so that men could watch it and there would be like a 60% chance they could get laid. Well, <laughs> it is Just... the awesome gay formula of the 80s where it's right. like going for this like super sort of bro, like machismo. However, the downside to that is that what you're unaware that you're making as long as you have people who don't look like the cast of Gears of War, is, you know, <laughs> this inadvertent gay porn, a la Predator. Well, I was telling Gerald how apparently they did like a promotional video that was just nothing but like Richard Armitage being tied up in a chair and like having water thrown on him. And I'm like, did they, did they like mean to make softcore porn? Yes. <laughs> I think the idea is guys can watch that and be like, oh, yeah, look how tough he is. And then women will watch that and be like, honey, I need to bed you right now. No, there's a reason that Rona Mitra is on that show. And so they can have the not gaze. <laughs> Except my people, my fangirl people have failed me. And none of the fan fiction is about the first season. Well, Probably because it didn't air in America. Yeah, yeah. It never aired in the U.S. And then the second season, you know, they start doing some crazy things. I'm not going to give anything away since yeah. the show's been, even the show's been on for years now. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I oh, just watch this and every two episodes is basically a self-contained story. So, you know, have mm -hmm. fun going through that. Uh, yeah. As for me, I have been doing two things primarily. Jacking Masturbating. It. And, oh, I said yeah. jacking it. <laughs> so what are you jacking it to? No, well, uh, what I am jacking Richard it to. Richard Armitage? No, it's, it's a different <laughs> British person. It's Jonathan Clements. Oh, thank you I agree. Much. This is Jonathan Clements. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you there. Wrote a book called Anime: A History, and it is, in fact, a history of Japanese animation that pretty much starts from the early 1910s and goes to the present day. And that's excellent because that's hard information to find, like in English. Yeah, very difficult. He did open the book by saying, "Here's how he put it together." Some of his things, and what always sort of fascinated me about, like the pieces that Jonathan puts together for either Manga UK or for this book or for Anime Encyclopedia, is how much of the resources that he uses are things that are available to anybody. I mean, yeah, there is an extent of okay. I was able to read this Japanese resource. There is that. Mm -hmm. But a significant portion of it is, well, it's these books and this website, et cetera, that you yourself can go read. Or maybe I have some of these books or I've heard some of these things. Except the difference between us and him is that he gets off his ass and actually writes the book. Right. What the fuck have you been doing lately? So what's good about this book is that he's got like all sorts of firsthand testimonials from people or just... Japanese things that were never before translated in English detailing the history of how some of this stuff came about. We've alluded in the past on this show to some of the historical developments, but like things like the effects of the Communist Party and, you know, the U.S. Japan's treaty and that sort of thing on the anime industry. 
that's delved upon in a lot more detail here. And it's really fascinating because we hear a lot about like the post Astro Boy stuff because Astro Boy mm. at least came out here in the US, but that was 1960. And there's a good half a century almost of things that transpired beforehand. And so I'm pretty fascinated by that. Additionally, I have not written anything in a long time, but because of the publishing schedule, by the time you hear this episode, it is quite likely that the new issue of Otaku USA is going to be out. It's got Hunter Hunter on the cover. That is where I've written a few things for it. I did a feature story on Kill a Kill. Perhaps you've heard of it. I also wrote about the manga Summer Wars, the adaptation of the movie, just because I was like thinking... Ed Chavez, every time they send something out to us, they're wondering, why do we keep sending AWO or manga? Don't they realize this shit, technically it does grow on trees, but, you know, it's a very endangered tree that I insist on using to maintain my vertical paper quality. So I said, okay, well, I've got this, and let me review it. I also reviewed Robot Girl Z, everybody's favorite. (laughs) So, you know, you can check that out at www.otakuusamagazine.com and other than that i'm also playing some games but i haven't really beaten too much uh lately so i'll sort of hold off on you know any further comments there i know right now everybody else is playing titanfall i on the other hand just recently got a wii u and so i've uh still slowly making my way through the wonderful 101 it's a great game isn't it i like it it's definitely a platinum game where you're supposed to just eventually accept that you're going to have to play through the entire first game to figure out how to play. Yeah. Just settle for the consolation prize, the bronze or whatever, and just keep going, and eventually you'll figure it out. Trial by fire. Most people aren't willing to give games that level of attention, but that's how platinum games work. And it's very much like this sort of combination homage to like all the things in life that people who listen to this podcast might be interested in it's like this tokusatsu hero story by way of the jerry anderson super marionation yeah it's got a great soundtrack the first level has got this very rousing old school style tetrogen 28 style song going in the background and i do like that you can switch between english and japanese and if you do that the song actually changes to the japanese song as well it does they they spent a lot of money on this game that nobody Played. Nobody bought it. Nobody bought it in Japan. Nobody bought it in the United States. Part of it is just because the Wii U is, you know, kind of this sort of... Uh, it's kind of basically a failed system. Yeah, this like, doomed be, system from the start. It's going to be the system that I own that will have the fewest games ever on it. Like, that I will own. Actually purchase. Because I bought this for a Mario game. I bought this for Wonderful 101, Bayonetta 2, and... I don't know, don't know what else. Maybe Zelda? You're not going to get X? X? I don't know X. It's, it's an RPG uh, that's oh, coming out. But, um, maybe. Yeah, so that's, that's sort of the deal with that. Maybe that'll make five games then. That's still the least amount I'll ever own for any one system. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's enough about basically what we've been doing. Notice not a whole lot of it is pertaining to Japanese cartoons and comics, which is probably why... We haven't had a new episode out. Stuff hasn't ended. Things are still ongoing as we are talking right now. Good stuff. As soon as that stuff ends, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we'll have more to talk about once things are over. One thing that is on everyone's mind, of course, is the fact that nothing won Oscars. 
for anime. Wind Rises no. got nominated. One of the things that I'm going to talk about today actually also got nominated. Neither of them won. I'm not sure if the anime picks would have won anyway, but certainly like when Jerry Beck on Cartoon Brew had like, here's like seven ballots that, you know, were sent to me under anonymity that basically admitted most people in the academy either don't watch the animated submissions period or vote for the thing that they've heard of. That kind of tells you something. I know a lot of people want to say, oh, these aren't statistically representative, but I kind of feel like that sentiment is uh, is widespread. It is not unusual. I remember uh, this one guy talking about an uncle of his or something was a gaffer or something that was in the academy and said that virtually everyone, how it works is you, vo you vote for what you worked on first. If you didn't work on anything, then you vote for what your friends worked on. If none of your friends worked on anything, then it might come down to something that you actually saw. And a lot of these people are pretty old. Average age is like 70, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're a pretty old bunch of folks who maybe uh, don't really feel like watching a goddamn cartoon, even if something like The Wind Rises is the cartoon for 70-year-olds who hate everybody. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So anyway, um, what we should do is take a dent in this mailbag, because there are... 1,755 messages in here, and only a few of them are press releases or email notifications saying that we have posts. So our mailbag is at animeworldorder at gmail.com, and I picked one that was sent a month ago that kind of summarizes a oft-repeated sentiment that we hear quite a bit. And so this one is from the creator of Ren and Stimpy himself, John K. It is a different John K. As I look, <laughs> the reason I can tell it's a different John K. is because the email is actually completed. So here's what he writes. Hello, Anime World Order. My name is John K. I'm 17 and I'm from New Jersey. Have any of you ever felt like you were starting to grow out of anime? It's something I've kind of been struggling with since I started high school, where I'm currently a senior. Maybe by now he's graduated. I don't know. I was like a lot of kids in America, at least back in the 2000s, and really obsessed with anime for a long time. So remember, if he's 17 now, that means in 2004 he was 7. So at least he was alive in the 90s. This is more than I can say for teenagers these days at conventions. And he continues, I had my similar beginnings with Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Kids WB, Toonami, Meguzi, etc. You remember Meguzi? Never heard of it. Meguzi was what Cartoon Network sort of uh, renamed one of their afternoon blocks. Yeah, I remember seeing ads for it. As Toonami sort of uh, faded away, the block's name was oh, Meguzi. Oh, I thought it was a show. Okay. No, no, it's just a, it a programming block, block much right. like Toonami. Right. It continues, part of me is reluctant to say that I might be growing out of anime because I was made fun of a lot for being into it when I was younger, and I was always equipped with reasons why I didn't consider it immature or not grown up. I don't know if it's that my tastes have changed, that the mainstream circle has gone away from my tastes, or if this just happens when you're removed from it for a period of time. Lately, it doesn't have the same appeal, and I don't have the same drive to watch it. I know it's nothing to beat myself up about realistically, but with the attachment a younger me had to it, I feel like I'm letting down a close personal friend. Since high school, I'd feigned interest in anime. Because of how much a younger me loved it. During my first two years of high school, I'd check out maybe three or four series in a year. Not new usually, just new to me. 
and maybe the first episode of something to see if I like it every two to three weeks. It usually didn't go anywhere. I haven't watched any anime at all in about a year and a half. Maybe this is a more healthy level than when where I was at when I was younger, just consuming anime. But it feels kind of restrained in comparison. Maybe I should be glad I have other outlets for energy and creativity now. My favorite anime, which he says is Back Mongolian Chop Squad, inspired me to start playing guitar, which I'm coming up on my fifth year of playing, and I've recently started playing at open mic nights. I have more of an interest in fashion now, aside from only wanting to wear novelty shirts all the time. I don't have the drive. I felt like I was phoning in my excitement or enthusiasm towards anime. At cons I'd been to since starting high school, I recognized fewer and fewer cosplayers and just took pictures of things from when I was young. Now I think I'll keep my fandom in my own way and not go to cons anymore. I even tried to get into My Little Pony because it seemed like the same kids into Naruto back in the day were into My Little Pony now. And I thought, these are my people. They can't be wrong. I must be a brony. And surprising to no one, I'm not. Looking back now, I've really come to dislike and see a lot of flaws in shows like Naruto, and seeing as that group has shifted to things like Adventure Time and Regular Show, even though I, I like them, they will probably fangasm over anything that's on. I've got some of my own theories about why it is. I guess we can say it was sort of a fad. While I like to think I'm smarter than liking something because it's popular, I'm human. I think I've heard you say... Kids get into anime seeing endless possibilities in it, but then they get bored when they realized it's only a different set of cliches. My own is that I must admit for several years, I probably fit the quote, weeaboo stereotype to a T, and I was proud of being obsessed with anime. I was like, OMG guys, I'm so obsessed with anime, I'm like watching him like two right now. That's in quotes, and I'm sort of uh, dramatizing his exaggerated spelling and maybe anything i'm self-proclaimed obsessed about couldn't last i also credit the tumblr blog stories uh, about being a weeaboo with making me very hesitant to venture back into the anime world now i see pictures of cosplayers and i think look at these fucking nerds and i don't know where it's coming from considering i thought anime defined who i was and would be the death of me I didn't think I had a problem with who I was or who anyone else was. But the only real links to Japanese culture that were still prominent in my life now are a few bands I used to follow that sang mostly in English, like El Garden, although I recently took all the Japanese music I had off of my phone. I felt I was fetishizing the culture and somehow seeing it superior to other cultures arbitrarily. Although since then, I've recently fallen in love with uh, One OK Rock because they just straight up rock. I don't want to spend money on something like a Crunchyroll subscription. I'm also the only person on earth without Netflix or a Shonen Jump subscription if it won't be the thing that jumpstarts my interest. I bought a Wii and a PlayStation 3 last generation hoping to revitalize my video game addiction, which only resulted in me adding to my pile of shame on my bookshelf. I then thought, I've beaten more handheld games than console games. I'll just stick to 3DS this generation. And it's going okay at best. But I just miss it, though. I, I miss having something to be really passionate about. I want something to point my passion to, considering how I've always criticized people with a lack of passion. I love listening to people talk about what their passion is. I can listen to anyone talk about something for a little bit. 
It's the reason I watch that metal show, even though I have no interest in metal. It's the reason I kept listening to you guys, because your commentary made things fun and engaging to me. After all, I recall Daryl saying something like, quote, where the podcast for extremely obsessive geeks are people who really want to be. Okay, think I'm done. Just looking for some friendly advice. Take care. Please read on the show, John K. So he said a mouthful, John. I'm going to let you guys talk since I needed some water right now. What do you think? I think that John K. is guilty of being incredibly normal. <laughs> yeah. We talked about Jonathan Clements, and I wanted to bring this up, and I'm glad he mentioned this. There was an interview that Jonathan Clements did on uh, Right Stuff's podcast, and it's very Carl Horn style in that they'll ask a question and he'll talk for like 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And he talks about kind of the demographics of anime fandom and how anime fandom works. And your average anime fan wakes up and figures out they're an anime fan. And they're an anime fan for approximately 18 to 24 months. In that time, they can be sold maybe four to six TV series or three to four TV series, a couple of movies. They might go to a convention or two. And then after that, they get out of it. That is what happens. That is the vast, vast majority of anime fans out there. Which is why a lot of people see it as a phase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As a childhood phase. A phase that a lot of people go through. I still love watching anime. It's far gone, gone far beyond a phase for me. But I watch different stuff in a different way than when I was, uh, you know, 13 and 14. Right. Um, there's still stuff from then that I watched then that I love today. I mean, I watched Project Echo when I was very young, and I still think that's one of the best anime movies I've ever seen. But I don't think there's anything wrong with your tastes getting more discerning as you grow older. That is a sign of maturity. <laughs> that is not a sign of losing it. Well, and not even necessarily discerning, just different. I mean, you're not the same person mm -hmm. that you were years ago, and so you're not going to like the same things. Majority of people are not super obsessive about their fan, whatever they're interested in. Hmm. The majority of people that read comic books or watch movies, play video games, or whatever it is, like right. even, you know, maybe read comic books might not be the same thing, but the majority of them are very casually into it. And you sound like a guy who is just casually into anime. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't feel like you're letting people down by not being super obsessive over it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I noticed in the testimonial is like the sign that he felt like he was slipping away from things that he was only watching like four series in a year that weren't necessarily new shows, but just new to him as a sign that like, oh, man, I'm losing my touch. And I'm like, but Black Dynamite, I watch maybe three to four series <laughs> in a year and they usually aren't brand new ones. Right. Yeah. It's different for me because I became an anime fan long before you could ever watch something that was even out that year or the previous year even. Like the stuff I watched was two years ago. And so it's never an issue of keeping up. And I've never felt I had to. Anime should not be some sort of purity test. It's not some sort of race to win nothing. But that said, if you wanted to be part of like the overall quote anime as an interest identity politics sort of thing it kind of is a race it is about seeing the latest thing before everybody else so that you can race to talk about it that is a big part of the online anime fandom culture and much of anime fandoms culture is defined by the online aspect of it there's not right. really a separate 
like, oh, the online fans versus the not right. online fans. And I mean, I understand like sometimes that's an issue because I know sometimes when I go back and there's stuff that came out a while ago and I like it, you know, a lot of people in terms of the fandom will have moved on by then. Right. And so sometimes that can be a little annoying. And I understand that. I understand that if there's something going on and you want to be part of the discussion right then, right. that's the price for it, is that you have to keep up on it. Sure. But at the same time, like, don't feel bad if you just don't feel like doing that. Yeah. What it comes down to is enjoy your anime. We have had friends, close friends, who were super into anime. I mean, you guys all know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say his name, but, you know, super into, like, Sister Princess and downloaded thousands and thousands of gigs of stuff and had wall scrolls everywhere and was crazy, crazy into it. And those people tend to burn out faster than anybody else. It's overload. Just take your anime, however you enjoy it, little by little, then I think you will actually be a fan of it for longer rather than trying to overload yourself. Here's the thing that I've noticed, and I don't know if this coincides with what you guys have noticed, so I'm just going to throw it out there. I find a lot of the people who are the most heavily obsessed with something, particularly I've seen it with Japanese animation, once they reach this point, they look back on those years and think like, oh my god, what was I thinking? And these people tend to be like some of the most vocally anti-anime people you meet. Uh, a lot of them, they like want to say like, oh, I don't watch that shit anymore. Or I, now I learned, you know, how to do insert socially acceptable task here. And they sort of feed into the general dominating perception of anime, which is partially based in fact, and that's a lot of kids watching it. A lot mm. of it is sort of chasing a fad and a lot of it is seen as immature or whatever and so you hear a lot of the people even in like the modern geek circles will thumb their nose at anime and be like it's the rap and country of geekdom <laughs> i don't think those people were obsessive anime fans i think that they are just snobby geeks and that exists anywhere in geek fandom and every Geek fandom has to have something they can look down upon. But I mean, what, what it is, is they look down at it because they, they're reminded of themselves at a time beforehand, and they feel bad. Your awkward teenage years. And mm -hmm. I don't know if I know like anybody personally, but I've yeah. seen, I guess, people commenting online sometimes that are like that. So I don't know how prevalent it is. I think we know people, some of whom run conventions, who by all accounts don't actually watch any anime. <laughs> if they do watch anything, it is only the stuff that they watched back then. Well, sure. Nothing else today is any good. Those, again, are people I think who kind of binged at some point and are just kind of going for some sort of momentum or even just a business thing. Hmm. Again, I think just take it slowly. Like, don't <laughs> don't run anime conventions. That's a good way of burning out. <laughs> if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you know, you only have one life to live. And enjoy it. <laughs> if it's not paying your bills, <laughs> then... Even if it is paying your bills, it's usually... There's a, a threshold as far as, like, how much garbage would you endure to pay bills? Well, sure, but I mean, it's easier to drop something that you're just doing as a hobby, obviously, than to quit your job and get a new one. People talk about anime burnout all the time. Oh, yeah, I've had it. Everybody... I mean, I've had stretches of time where I didn't watch anything or barely watched anything at all. Right. I mean, that's why I like we have weekly anime meetings, so that even if you're in kind of burnout mode... 
you just get a little bit. It's not overwhelming. You're not watching stuff every night. Just yeah. And you're hanging out with some friends. It's not overload. And if you can get over that burnout, then there's almost always something that comes along that brings you back into it. I mean, you're, it seems like you're still watching stuff. Chances are the amount that you're watching is perfectly normal for what most people would watch. Because remember, when you were young and you were watching like tons of stuff, I guarantee there was a lot of crap you were watching. And you didn't think about it. And you didn't necessarily think it was any good. That is the problem with anime and with most things is that not necessarily is a lot of it bad. It's just there. It's just, it leaves no impression. As you get older, too, you have to prioritize your time differently. Like, I yeah. know for me with video games, like, there's a lot of video games or, or types of video games that on an intellectual level, I like them and I, I appreciate that they exist, but I can't really play them because I just can't pour the amount of time mm. into them to get good at them or to, you know, be able to, to make it through. So what you're saying is you haven't made much headway into Bravely Default? I haven't even bought that. Yeah, neither <laughs> did I. I do have it. <laughs> it's more like Demon Souls or... <laughs> or Skyrim or something. <laughs> well, that's not too much because those kind of games are long. Like Stuff like Skyrim is long, which is a little bit um, tricky, but it's not exceedingly difficult to play. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of more stuff like... Stuff that requires you know, really mastery. hardcore games, like, mm. you know, really difficult fighting games, or like Mega Man, or stuff mm. that really takes a lot of repetition and skill building. You have to do it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. I think what John was talking about, it sort of touches on all of those things, because he was mentioning even for video games, like he's beating more handheld games and consoles. And I think one thing that I often suggest, and that kind of segues into what I'm reviewing today, is to simply, you know, as part of watching fewer things, you can watch shorter things. In the case of the games, you've beaten more handheld games than console ones because handheld games tend to be shorter mm -hmm. than console games, or they at least are broken up more that you can right. just play a little bit. Also, depending on what his lifestyle is, it might be more convenient for him. Because mm -hmm. handheld games are really bad for my lifestyle. I don't take public transportation. I don't sit downstairs with a significant other and watch TV while I play handheld games or something. So whatever works for you, man. Don't feel bad. You're still listening to our show, so that makes you a, a cool bro. <laughs> if you need to take a break from it, take a break from it. The worst thing that can happen is angry sort of burnout, where then you now hate this anime that you watched, and you feel like you wasted your time and all that. And the fact that you're watching less stuff, I'm going to guess that the stuff you're now watching is on average higher quality. Just going to throw that out there. I th I'm just going to guess. Because I don't watch everything that comes out every season. Do you guys? There's way too much stuff that comes out. No. It's impossible to keep up. I mean, I see people who do. I'm not sure why they do that mm -hmm. to themselves, but I see people who do. And a yeah. lot of it is just so they can capture the crowd. Like if they're doing it for the sake of being social media conscious, like maybe they got a blog or maybe they just want to be caught up in the zeitgeist and the mania the time to watch that episode and comment on it and get your thoughts out is you know less than a week if that and there's a ton of shows that are like that i mean even when i had a lot of free time i don't think i ever watched everything but that may be also that the segment of online fandom i tended to participate in was not really 
the same kind of, you know, you have to be watching everything the second it comes out. Well, yeah, that does make it harder, though, for any given interest. If there is a big mainstream thing that most of the people are watching and that's not the thing you're into, it's difficult to sustain your interest by just watching the thing you're into and ignoring the thing that everyone's got Mm -hmm. the mania for. More often than not, you are watching the thing that you've got the mania for and your interest is such that it's elevated. So now you can go and spend your surplus enthusiasm on also watching other things for a percentage of people that is more or less how it tends to work yeah Such that if the main thing I mean, is bad like the- it's hard to keep watching the other things even if you're rationally aware oh yeah there's good stuff out there even if it's not the big main thing everyone's watching right and i think that that is maybe a function of or a, a drawback to anime being sort of a smaller niche because since there's fewer people to begin with those non like main shows that everybody's watching are a significantly smaller portion of people. Whereas for example, in terms of the broader fandom stuff, like sure, everybody's crazy about Teen Wolf. I don't watch Teen Wolf at all, but there's still Because you have taste. <laughs> there's still a shitload of other stuff that I don't really have to pay any attention to the the Teen Wolf portion of what's going on. Yeah, you've got I don't know what else Game of Thrones or whatever yeah, the I other mean, and you know, Hobbit thing. And... So there's tons of stuff yeah. always happening. But yeah, with anime, I think it's a smaller niche, as we've talked about before. So it's a little bit harder, yeah, if there's that one big show that everybody's talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not really part of that. The most I will see is that when Space Dandy comes out, there will be people commenting on it as it's airing. Mm-hmm. As long as they don't spoil anything, it doesn't bother me. I guess I don't feel the need to have to, have to, have to keep up on it. But we also watch, you know, last week's episode every week because, you know, we just have a regular thing. So, John K., I think you're perfectly fine. You're becoming, you know, a well-rounded person. You're probably getting mad poontang because you're playing the guitar. That's right. That's why That's <laughs> so, why you learn guitar. That's why the late characters in Beck learn guitar and it works. And that's why, you know, I assume... 100% success rate. Yep, you can be the ugliest, ugliest asshole in the world. As Evan as Minto Iggy, proves... As, oh, sorry, Evan. Oh! <laughs> Evan I was gonna say as, as uh. I was going to say as, as Iggy Pop, but yes. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to get the Evan Minto disclaimer in there because he says he's not gotten girls from his acumen from playing guitar. And yet, so many pictures on social media are of women giving him the finger. <laughs> I should have just said women fingering Evan. <laughs> I guess that's all my messages. Don't worry, you're completely average. There's nothing wrong with being average. Nobody wants yeah. to be average, though. Nobody wants to be average, but the sad fact is we are all average in in most things we do. We're not all Albert Einstein or whatever. But then again, most of us excel at something. Maybe as a really badass guitar player. I don't know. Based on open mic nights at most places, I will assume that is not the case. <laughs> Probably not, but we also all have to start somewhere. All right, so I guess we talked about that enough. Again, our mailbag address is animeworldorder at gmail.com. We may not uh, respond to your question and inquiry. (laughs) Are you going to say shit? Yes, I was going to say (laughs) shit, but uh, I'm trying to have a modicum of uh, decor and class here. So I thought otherwise because it may disincentivize people to write in if you refer to what they 
right in as shit. Your decor does that involve like nice lacy curtains? Yes, it's my <laughs> curtains and my torn up <laughs> blinds that are eternally drawn because I don't want the sun having glare on my monitor or on my TV. <laughs> Probably meant to say decorum, but we're working on it. So yeah, animeworldorder at gmail.com. Our website is www.animeworldorder.com where you can uh, click on the review index and see an archive of all our prior episodes, all the things we reviewed. And they're finally starting to become relevant because more and more of these things that we talked about forever ago are being licensed rescued or licensed for the first time. Ringing Bell is about to come out from Discotech. Yeah. Remember when we oh reviewed boy. that? So you too can be traumatized. Yeah, we reviewed that. And traumatize your young relatives. <laughs> about six or seven years ago at this point. And now it's coming out. It's going to have a commentary track by Mike Toole, who has the Facebook comments or anything to go by. Apparently, Mike Toole is a horrible liar for daring to say Carl Masek was involved with the dubbing of certain Studio Ghibli films. And therefore, Mike Toole is unworthy of doing these commentary tracks and it should be somebody else, damn it. <laughs> I think that's the the gist. It's the, you know, why you get the angry person who, like, is in the AnimeCon panel audience who's like, that's not the case, it's whatever. You're a fraud. You're not entitled to be on this panel. And I guess they expect, you know, you to sit down and then have them get up and get all the adulations. I don't know the mentality of these people, but... Go ahead, listen to those episodes from forever ago, because some of the things are still timely, even if the news developments from the older episodes are not timely at all. <laughs> I guess uh, we'll take a quick intermission and be right back, because I have yet to talk about what I'm going to review, and so I'll keep it that way until we come back. So we mentioned at the beginning, at some part of that rambling, never-ending brain dump, that stream of consciousness that was our introduction, that we would be talking about both things that got snubbed for Oscars at the, some point during the show today. Of course, Hayao Miyazaki's The Wind Rises got nominated for Best Animated Feature, lost to Gerald's favorite movie, Frozen, a.k.a. Yep. the only pick that anybody saw. Personally, I believe The Croods was robbed. I think uh, Nicolas <laughs> Cage really needed another Oscar. He certainly had the beard for an Oscar acceptance speech that night, but it was not to be, uh, which is unfortunate. But maybe there's a silver lining to that. Because imagine if Hayao Miyazaki had won his second Oscar. The cool Japan people would be all over the place being like, see, Told you guys Japan was cool, even though nothing we push as part of this cool Japan initiative has any fucking resemblance to the thing that actually won. Because if you look at what they're pushing, things like the wind rises is not really uh part of that 
What are they pushing now? It's all like that really like cute culture, moe type stuff. Mm. You know, it's the Danny Chews of the world are all over all right, the cool right. Japan. The baby metal. Seriously? Yeah, I don't know. I, I did notice the big story for today is that Bandai is going to start selling Gunpla at Barnes and Noble. And it's going to have a big Gunpla made in Japan as the logo stamped on these things. So yet more non-book things at a bookstore. <laughs> yeah, that, especially when the plastic models for Gundam did so well the last time. I kind of feel like they've got a way to fuck this up. I think it's going to be like, oh, get your Gundam models, and it's all like their surplus unsold Gundam Age models that end up going on the shelf at Barnes & Noble, and they're all like marked up. That's what I envision happening anyway. I could be wrong. I don't see how that can work. I don't think anybody well, you, goes you to. You mean no one's going <laughs> to go to Barnes & Noble to buy the latest Gundam Build Fighters model, a.k.a. the show that uh, you can't really see here through any means other than like maybe like putting up with Daisuke's site? Right. I'd be as shocked as you were if uh, if that didn't work out so well. But apparently they did some test markets and there was promise and wherever the test markets were so they're expanding this to uh, in april you can buy gundam plastic models but what i am talking about today is only tangentially related to gundam because it is indeed produced by sunrise and bandai you know that usual gang of jokers you would typically associate with gundam but it is not gundam it is in fact a new anthology work that just came out you know a few months ago um middle of last year Summer last year, thereabouts. And it is called Short Piece. And I had originally intended to have this review up some time ago because Short Piece consists of, as the title suggests, a few short pieces of Japanese animation, each by different creators. It's an anthology of short anime, much you know, like some other anthology works we've talked about in the past, things like Robot Carnival, things like The Animatrix, that sort of thing. Short Piece is another one of those. Uh, Memories is probably the one that's most similar to Short Piece because there's a bit of an overlap in staff on that. One of the segments got nominated for Best Short Animated Work, and uh, it also did not win. We can talk about that in just a bit. But as part of it being nominated for an Oscar, part of that eligibility process means it has to be screened to some extent in the United States. And usually things like this, it's like, oh, major cities only, like the real places, like not Los Angeles and New York and, you know, maybe some other places in the Northeast and the rest of America doesn't count. For some reason, I thought that Short Piece had a shot at like getting uh, some play at the local theaters here. Didn't end up happening. So I waited uh, to pirate it like everybody else. But you don't have to do what I did because Sensei Filmworks has announced they are going to release this in the United States on uh, DVD and Blu-ray, so I do recommend checking it out that way. That being said, much like Robot Carnival, which uh, if you have not heard our review of that, you can head on over to Anime World Order, click the review index, check that out. There's not, by and large, a huge amount of dialogue in most of Short Piece. The thing to keep in mind about this one is that I feel like this is the sort of thing that got made to be shown internationally, to show like at film festivals and the like as a prestige sort of thing, which tended to be how, if you go back and listen to our anthology reviews, that was how a lot of these things ended up getting made. A lot of the Studio 4C anthology pieces, 
were built for that purpose. A lot of them were meant to give experience to uh, up and coming talent to say, hey, maybe we don't want to give this guy a movie or a full TV show, but let's have him direct like a short and see how it turns out. This one isn't really so much of a, a rookie sort of uh, area like Genius Party or the like. And we've never really talked much about Genius Party on this. Have any of you seen that? No. I haven't. No, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, there was also a follow-up called Genius Party Beyond, which I, I, I think the better shorts were in the first Genius Party. But as for short piece, most of the anthology works tend to be like about two hours long and about eight segments. This one is roughly half of that. The whole thing's an hour long, give or take. So pretty short. Yeah, pretty short. It's four different segments. Each one's about 10, 15 minutes long. And actually, there's a fifth segment to short piece that is a video game by Suda51. Oh, my. Guess what it's about. Guess what it's about? Yeah. Well, I, I would. I mean, I would guess that it's a beat-em-up. Okay. That's all I know. All right. Well, if it's a Suda51 thing, it is, of course, about assassins. Uh-huh. It is, of course, about schoolgirls. In some extent, who are also assassins and crazy people. Crazy people. It's very good guess, and uh, yeah, it's basically all of those things. The name of it is Ranko Sukigime's Longest Day, and it is in fact a 2D scrolling sort of a shooter beat 'em up where you play like a schoolgirl assassin, totally unrelated to Lollipop Chainsaw or you know No More Heroes or you know Killers Dead and all that jazz. But that's actually it's a Namco Bandai thing released on PlayStation Network. I don't know if it is ever going to come out here, but it's one of those things where we're seeing a lot of weird stuff come up on PSN. Things that you wouldn't typically think would ever see any sort of US release. So that, that may actually come out here just yet. Hmm. I believe Namco Bandai Europe is releasing it. So that means some sort of English localization is going to happen. Inevitably, it'll cost them nothing to put it up on the North American PlayStation Network. Right. I actually like those uh, PSN things because we get weird stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, even like the 3DS on the eShop, seeing some of the weird like level five guild stuff, things like Liberation Maiden, which is also a Suda51 game, which is also about a schoolgirl who is blowing everything up. <laughs> I love Suda51's range. He's such a versatile guy. Mm hmm. Also a beat him up, I assume, or shoot him up. It, yeah, yeah, the shooter in that case, the Liberation Maiden. That's the one where uh, the closest thing we'll get to Metal Wolf Chaos 2. Ah. <laughs> Girl elected president, and as president of Japan, means she gets to pilot the robot and blow everything oh, up. Very good. So, short piece, there's not really a whole lot of interconnecting themes that sort of tie everything together in short piece, the way that the overarching theme of Robot Carnival was, hey, let's get a bunch of guys to make something about robots. The overarching theme of the Animatrix was, let's get people, hey, make something about the world of the Matrix, the films that were once upon a time considered cool. The theme isn't something like uh, Halo Legends, where everything is about Halo and being not very good, with the exception of you know, maybe <laughs> one of the shorts. That's basically not really the case here. If anything... Allegedly, the theme is peace. I don't know how much I really want to buy into that. That seems like uh, they just needed a thing to call it, something to sell you on. But from the beginning, you kind of get an idea like, all right, if you've seen any of these anthology things, you know that the sign of the good ones is, did they get Koji Morimoto to do anything for it? Koji Morimoto is sort of like the king of making like these weird short little things. He's one of the key figures behind Studio 4 Degree C, for example. 
the opening credits to short piece is by Koji Morimoto and really fantastic backgrounds and visuals on this. It's really short. It's very simple. It's basically plot wise. All these shorts and short piece are not a whole lot to speak of. And that's why they're short 10 minute thing, a 15 minute thing. You don't need a lot of story. In the case of the credits, it's a girl playing hide and seek. She ends up going through these various uh, sci-fi, fantastic imagery sorts of backdrops. Really something that needs to be seen more than described. And that's kind of a good descriptor of a lot of the things Koji Morimoto's made over the years. You know, really fantastic. Like, for example, you can't really verbally describe, like, the opening credit sequence to Dirty Pair Project Eden. Oh, yeah, they're nice. Yeah. No, no, you have to see this. It's a stylish sort of... uh, You can't say, oh, it's like a James Bond opening. Well, well, what does that mean? You know, (laughs) there are a million of them. You just have to sort of see it. It's like this sort of animation for the sake of itself. The first segment of Short Piece is the one that got nominated for the Oscar. It's called Possessions. And the guy who's made it is a guy we've actually talked about a little bit with somewhat infamy. Uh, his name's Shuhei Morita. Does the name ring a bell? Without, I heard the clicking. Don't look him up on the internet. Does the name ring a bell? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Shuhei Morita, we've actually talked about him before. He was the guy who made Kakarembo Hide and Seek. Oh, so is, he started like the indie on the indie side. Yeah, and later on he made Freedom Project, which is easy to Ooh. look back and laugh at at how bad it is in certain ways. But once you kind of don't have to pay $50 an episode for it. <laughs> it is mediocre. <laughs> so it's a little bit better than that. It's still unfortunately marred by the fact that it's got those Katsuhiro Otomo character designs on it that make you, as a reminder, I am not watching Akira. It is just ugly as hell. Ugly as hell. Is. And yeah. he's sort of, over the years, Sui Morita has sort of worked in this sort of CG hybrid style animation. And over the years, I think he's really gotten the hang of it. Because the last thing he did before making this short was the Gotcha Man Crowds CG. I think that's certainly a step up. This still has some of the issues that anime television CG has. But drastic improvement over the integration of like the 2D and the 3D style animation, you know, that's a freedom project had. Hmm. He's still getting work and the premise of possessions and why it's called possessions is basically the most apt way to describe it would be if somebody read Matt Alt's book, uh, Yokai Attack and said, Hey, let's encompass that in like a 15 minute bit. They would make something like Possessions. It's set in like, you know, some sort of medieval Japanese period. We see a guy who we don't really get his name because it's not really too dialogue heavy, but he's trapped in a really severe rainstorm and he takes shelter in a temple, you know, these rural sorts of temples that you ostensibly see throughout Japan at this period. I don't know how many of them are still around, but of course the temple is home to an assortment of spirits. And if you've known about the yokai or, you know, you've seen like Gege no Kita or you see some of these things pop up again, like the umbrella spirit, the woman with no face, uh, you see that sort of imagery. But this one's actually played to not really be scary because yokai aren't scary. At least they're somehow aware. Like, you know, this isn't really vengeful ghosts that are going to kill you sorts of yokai. It's just like something weird. As it goes on, we sort of find out. This guy is clearly not a warrior or anything. He's not carrying a weapon. 
He is some sort of artisan. He's some sort of merchant. He's a guy who fixes things. And she's like a, a seamster or something to that effect. So inside the temple are castaway discarded objects that have been inhabited by yokai. So the name possessions has sort of a double meaning. Possessions in the physical sense, possessions in terms of like ghosts taking over something. The animation style, as you may infer from the fact that this is by Shuhei Morita, is the sort of uh, hybrid CG 2D source of animation, kind of reminiscent of one of the recent things I reviewed, Asura. Looks pretty good as far as uh, that integration goes. Uh, Again, you can still tell it's CG, but definitely leaps and bounds above uh, what we typically come to expect from anime 3D CG. The character stylization is not like that. Let's try and make it hyper-realistic so you just look at it and think something's wrong with this, which I fucking hate about so much of that CG. Speaking of which, um, we should probably review Shinji Aramaki's new movie. What do you say, Gerald? Uh, why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've got a new Captain Harlock. I do not believe it'll be good. Cannot believe. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. Right, but anyway, maybe we'll we'll see that uh, in a future date. But that's a, that's a weird movie. But Possessions is only about yeah, like I said, 15 minutes. Very simple story. He goes into the shed, sort of falls asleep. He's sort of uh, plagued by these visions of discarded items, and then he sort of responds by not really being afraid. And, you know, it sort of plays out in a way to say, like, this is Japan, guys. Like, if you have never seen Japanese animation, this may be what you'd expect the phrase Japanese animation to be. One thing I do notice about short pieces that a lot of them involve either some sort of establishing or final shot where it, like, pans out and shows Mount Fuji, of all things. Maybe that's what sort of ties these things together. The second segment, when I was watching it, I was like, all right, this is clearly the weakest segment. Was it directed by Otomo? Well, let me get to you on that, because I was like, <laughs> this is clearly the weakest segment. And then when I watched through the, the last one, I was like, okay, this last one is definitely the Katsuhiro Otomo segment. No question. Then I went and I looked at the credits. Nope, the second one is Katsuhiro Otomo's segment. Damn, right on. Yeah, so I was like, <laughs> assuming, because Katsuhiro Otomo has been involved in a couple of these things, like Memories was his and a lot of people thought that cannon fodder the segment that he did was sort of the weakest of those cannon fodder was a technical experiment it shouldn't have been a short i like it it's just uh you know again when you compare it against magnetic rose which is right. a short film something like stink bomb which you know is sort of like beginning middle end has an escalation and you know, a structure to it all that cannon fodder is was him proving let me make a one take animated piece so something that has like really giant backgrounds nobody actually really notices that when they watch it at first but there's no like character there's no real story to it it's just kind of this i give it a little more credit than that i think it's a little smarter than people tend to say but i agree that it's probably the least good segment of memories and then for Monty Monty labyrinth tales i think his segment was what the order to stop construction which actually i liked i like that one yeah that's the weird one they're all kind of the weird one (laughs) in this case his short on this one was called combustible there was a, a terrible like disastrous fire like 1800s or what have you 
I guess this is sort of a dramatization of how that fire happened. Lovely. It's very anticlimactic, I think, because I'm sort of reminded of like all those disaster movies where they like have to have like some sort of love story or some sort of shoehorned in human element to explain the disaster, like everyone's favorite movie, Pompeii, which is currently out in theaters now <laughs> by Paul W.S. Anderson. It's a fucking volcano. A fucking <laughs> volcano erupted and buried the city. There's no like forbidden love tale ruined by the volcano, but everybody saw Titanic and they're like, oh, this is how we got to do this shit. So combustible is presumably about like this girl and she's in an arranged wedding and she's got to choose a suitor. And of course, she uh, really just wants to be with her childhood friend who has been ostracized by his family because he wanted to be like a firefighter or something like that instead of uh, taking over for the head of household. She is distraught and crying and she's uh, inadvertently throws a paper fan to a lantern and burns down the city. And then everybody dies the end there. That's what combustible's about. Sounds as, as best as I can tell. The fire breaks out and this lady who's clearly responsible for the fire decides to run towards the fire that she started after running away from it. And the guy's trying to save her. And then there's a big giant plume of flame. And then it's the end and you're on to the next segment. And you're like, well, thank you, Katsuhiro Otomo. That was fantastic for uh, giving that to us. I wouldn't have known it was Otomo short because he didn't do the character designs of it. It doesn't mm. have that bubblehead Otomo sort of artwork. But he totally directed this. He totally wrote it. And it's totally the weakest segment out of Not. every single one of them. But again, the good thing about anthology pieces is they're over pretty quickly even if you don't like something. What I usually like about anthologies, though, is that I like each piece to be like very different from the other ones. And the trouble, I think, with Combustible, and maybe even Short Piece overall, is that nearly all of the segments, they take place at slightly different points in Japanese history, but they're all set in Japan, and almost all of them are set like in that same sort of feudal like pre-modern era of japan such that if you're so there's not a lot of variation it doesn't seem like there's a lot of variation certainly possessions had the stylized sort of cg art to it and this at least sort of looks different but it looks kind of conventional it looks kind of plain but again it's over kind of quick and so not too big of a deal then the next segment of it is actually what i believe should have gotten the Oscar, not just nomination, but would have won the Oscar. I am 100% sure of this. I have every confidence that if only it had been nominated and people had actually seen the thing, people would have would have dug this one. It's called Gombo is the name of the third segment. Gombo is actually written by Katsuhito Ishii whom we've mentioned as being like the guy who sort of uh, did this thing we talked about called Redline. Mm -hmm. Does a lot of weird independent live action cinema sorts of things. And uh, he's, he's a weird dude. Uh, the director of this one is a guy who's pretty well versed in making like these short anime things. His name's Hiroaki Ando, who's not to be confused with the guy who did sort of The Stranger. Hiroaki Ando is a guy who worked for, for 4C for a long time. He did a lot of the shorts for them and he's worked with Otomo as well on doing like his CG and stuff like that. Gombo is the really heartwarming tale of who would win in a fight, a polar bear or a giant 13 foot uh, raping ogre. 
because you see, it's so okay. It's set in like you know. Again, that medieval Japan sort of area, this demon is terrorizing the local village, you know, this ogre, kidnapping all the firstborn daughters, raping, murdering, eating them. <laughs> and it's, it's only up to the kind, vengeful spirit that is a giant white fucking bear who's going to go out into the woods because the last girl is like the emperor's daughter who's a small child and she can and communicate now it matters. with the animal. Well, no, it's just because the samurai have been hunting this. It's like, holy fuck, there's a giant bear. <laughs> but the girl finds the, the bear and like communicates with him in a sort of like, you know, empathetic sort of way. And we sort of see like the bears like sort of like a guardian sort of forest spirit. And it goes in kind of like a Duke Nukem Forever fashion, has to euthanize a lady before it gives birth to the demon spawn. And then the majority of this short is fucking polar bear versus ogre in, in a, you know, claw versus hand battle to the death. This sounds amazing. This is my concept. Oscar award winning fucking shit. Very reminiscent of, you know, the great works of Mamoru Hosoda, you know, all the feel-good, <laughs> family-friendly artists. And no, I, I, I say that in partial jest because it actually is Sadamoto's character designs, the guy who did Evangelion. He did do the character designs for this. But yeah, it is, you know, a very simple story about, you know, this, this <laughs> awesome throwdown. Not a whole lot of dialogue to it. Like, there's a samurai. And you can sort of just sort of tell... By like the title card and whatever. Okay, it's a little later. This particular samurai is a Christian. There's Oda Nobunaga, you know, sort of legacy sorts of stuff going about if you could have the eye for it. But if you don't have the eye for it, it's like, fuck yeah, kick his ass, bear. <laughs> Why wasn't this like the one that they put front and center? Like, I had no idea this was coming. And I'm sorry to, to ruin it for everybody, but... People need to know that short piece encompasses the full spectrum of what Japanese animation has to offer. The giant raping ogre segment. Yeah, not just the uh, overwrought, <laughs> melodramatic, forced wedding, hysterical woman kills half the city segment of anime, a.k.a. the 24 segment of anime. But not just the uh, we're trying to win awards, you know, by doing something cool and you know, maybe advancing uh, the technical craft side of things, but also just the let's be fucking awesome uh, side of things. And that's what this is. This one certainly goes the fastest because it's, you know, largely action piece, not a huge amount of talking because, you know, bear. <laughs> <laughs> the bear doesn't deliver any moving speeches? Well, the bear has some awesome facial expressions. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the embedded MP3 image of this episode is going to be a polar bear making a weird face at the camera because <laughs> the polar bear has some some pretty like uh maybe cheese sweet home approved caliber facial expressions that he throws out at people in the course of this so yeah i mean that's the one that certainly appealed to me the most but the one that actually it may be a tie between what appeals to me the most because the last segment unlike all the other segments is set in the future and at first when i saw it i was like this is Katsuhiro Otomo's for sure. I was only half right because it is an adaptation of a comic that Katsuhiro Otomo wrote very long ago. I believe it was like 1981. Is that the one that was called Short Piece? No, it, it was called A Farewell to Weapons or Farewell okay. to Weapons. And this was actually released by Epic Comics or Marvel Comics, like when Akira was coming out in the colorized editions. 
They did release in English a colorized version of this story. I do have it here, so let me just pull it up to make sure that I've got the year right. Because I know when I say off the top of my head, oh, I think it was this year and I'm wrong. Someone's like, no, you motherfucker, it was this year. I got it here somewhere in this stack of things. I'm one of the few people who actually has the Epic Comics colorized Akira, like the print versions of it. And so this was one of the things that they did. Yeah, okay, I was right. The thing about this is it is a story by Otomo back when he was good. But the person who did the designs for it and the direction for it is not a person who you'd expect to hear in anime, but he is a person whose name you might know. Does the name Hajime Katoki have any meaning to anybody here? Yeah, Mm. it definitely sounds familiar. Hajime Katoki is the guy who basically designs the Gundam models. Oh, right, right. Yeah, he is like, the, did a, a lot of like the Gundam redesigns. You'll see things like version KA. That's the like the Katoki version of, you know, that famous sort of mobile suit or what have you. So this is the guy who did like the screenplay adaptation and the storyboarding and the direction. He did all this himself. And so it's an update of an old Otomo thing brought into the present day. And it's sort of fascinating having read the original one how forward-thinking Otomo was to be able to actually tell the story. Because what it's about is Japan's been ruined. It's like a desert now, pretty much. There's like worn-out sections of city that still remain. And there's like a, a peacekeeper squad that has like these sorts of armored suits on them. And they're, they're outfitted with all sorts of like modern era war technology, drones, sort of local radar sorts of things, UAVs the like, and they're tasked with deactivating still active uh, military drones that they have to sort of take out. They do come across one. It's called a gunk because, you know, why not? You got to have the weird Votoms, these sort of name to this thing. And the majority of this running time is the squad of guys trying to flank and outmaneuver and deal with like this really heavily armored, you know, mobile platform that's just capable of delivering like ridiculous destruction katoki since he's like this masterful mecha designer the suit's super badass makes the platform really cool looking you can tell it's definitely you know the mark of like somebody who gives a shit about like these things the way the story originally came out about is that katsuyo otomo built a diorama using like his military stuff as part of just the craft of building a diorama As he was painting his figurines, he's like, okay, this guy's so-and-so, and and he's like, you know, whatever, whatever. And this is like, the reason for this thing is there's this conflict and whatever. Like, he just put all that into building a goddamn diorama to put on his desk. Then at the time, he's like, oh, I'll make this into a comic. And then they started to sell, like, model kits and stuff based on this thing way back when. And so, certainly, that's probably how Hajime Kotoki probably got involved with this because I'm sure at some point he would have been a budding model kit enthusiast and this would have been a thing that sort of appealed to him because it was originally sort of kit bashed from like military stuff. Of course, things go south. Then it ends on this weird sort of a, not necessarily a full 100% downer note, but when I was watching it, I was like, what a weird ending. And then when I went through the comic, I was like, that's the main thing that they kept. (laughs) from uh the comic to this uh katoki definitely had to expand out definitely all the combat stuff because you know you've got a comic book that's a Mm. one chapter self-contained story 
Mm. Of course, in the true Otomo fashion, this mobile platform is, is effectively the equivalent of dealing with like the automated voicemail system when you try to call like your cable company for customer support, except this one's for war. It's a bit of a feat that not only did Otomo write this in 81, but we got it released in the United States in the early 90s. And then to think in 2013, they still remembered it well enough to say, Let's take this and make uh, a short out of it. And so it must have had some sort of huge impact on somebody at the time. It's interesting. That's also a really strong piece. I just think, uh, you know, as far as raw power is concerned, it's definitely a toss up between, you know, guys in cool suits or, you know, just fighting a bear. (laughs) (laughs) Fighting a bear is always good. Fighting a bear is pretty, pretty great. One of the things I'm looking through some supplemental things, I guess one of the things that also interested Kotoki and Otomo was a thing he did called Fireball, which is another sort of uh, publication sort of built on models and what have you. That is pretty much short piece. It's all over in an hour. It's just four shorts. You can see it from Sentai Filmworks pretty soon, I think. I don't necessarily think that you would automatically like every single piece. But that's to be expected with anthology things. I've rarely come across an anthology where I liked every single thing. In Robot Carnival, I didn't like every single thing. Right. In Animatrix, I didn't like every single thing. Sometimes there's some worse than others, like Batman Gotham Knight. Like, maybe I only liked two or three. Uh, and then for some of the later ones, you know, it's like, oh, maybe only one is good. Who the fuck are they getting <laughs> for these things? You know, but it's it's always a toss-up. Like, Genius Party... I'm still kind of wishing and sad that Genius Party never got any sort of official release here. I think maybe maybe Madman or somebody met a release in Australia or something like that. But as far as I can tell, Genius Party Beyond didn't really get any sort of release. And when they were making these things, they were originally making them to get them shown internationally. And a lot of things weren't even getting shown internationally at this point. So why make shorts? I mean, you heard like Mariama and all those guys talking about like, yeah, some of these things are good training for people, but they don't really make money. Nowadays, we've got like the Anime Mirai project or the Young Animators um, project things. And a lot of those tend to be not very good, except for like the one that's good as well. It's just the nature of the beast. I mean, I also know that those things are very good for having like between TV shows. Um, yeah, I know got that somebody who has nothing to do, he's got maybe an idea floating around his head that maybe isn't enough to turn into a full show or whatever, you can say, hey, work on this. Well, I remember like TBS used to show just those segments almost randomly, like just late night. Oh, right. We've got a long commercial break. Let's throw this on there too. And I remember nowadays they just show more commercials. Yeah. 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 But I know that those things have made fans as well, just because they're usually the, those sorts of shorts, catch a lot of people's eyes because they at the very least they are visually eye-catching yeah i mean kickheart is a perfect example of that when cartoon mm-hmm. network ran ava 2.22 they had some extra time left over after commercials to fill the block so they said okay well let's run kickheart at two something in the morning and some people were like wow this is cool and a lot of people were like what the fuck was that piece of shit that you showed after my yeah, beloved evangelion movie a lot of people didn't like it <laughs> yeah but a lot of people thought it was cool it's sure to be five ten years from now when you get the emails from someone saying i was totally hazy and stoned at two in the morning ten years ago i saw this thing what was it the answer is going to be hickard <laughs> uh. 
I would like if Short Piece uh, were to get some airplay like that. But Sentai Filmworks, I don't think they have very much luck getting their things out there to people beyond that otaku market. I think they are sort of just, they've got the anime network, but that's again an online only sort of platform by and large. But they do get things onto Hulu. But the thing about Hulu is you've got to be looking for it. It's not just going to pop up. Hulu's also a kind of an awful site to use. Yeah, it's, it's a uh, bit of a pain in the ass. It's just, there's a lot of people on there, but... Like, I don't think anybody uses Hulu because they want to. They use Hulu because it's nowhere else. They have no other choice, and I don't know how many people are finding new things through Hulu. I'm, I think it's yeah. just like, I'm going to Hulu to watch yesterday's episode of Thing I Liked that I didn't want to watch on TV. Right. The front page, it's not like Netflix where you'll get like a random listing of things you can find something new. Like Hulu is front page is like uh, Family Guy and Simpsons every single day. I think some of Sentai Filmwork stuff is on Netflix now. Like I remember like, Mardock Scramble and stuff appearing somewhere. Most of it is Funimation, but I think there is some stuff there. I know Kite got into Netflix. Yeah, Media Blasters. Well, that's because when you look at like what's most popular on Netflix for anime, it's always titty shows, and Media Blasters is pretty good at that. And Funimation's like, I gotta get some of that too. And so between yep. the two of them, got another thing that doesn't really help the image of anime uh, between all those things. So uh, I think people watching anime on Netflix are largely the choir. Oron and Showbits and stuff like that. All that stuff's on Netflix now. Yeah. So that's what people are finding. If you just type anime into Netflix, I'm going to do it right now for the hell of it. See what like the first thing that comes up is. Oh, they've got a whole category, so. Well, there's Tokyo Pop's anime concept to reality. This inside look at how a production of an animated feature works. DJ Milky is result number one. Ugh. Results numbers two and three are Marvel anime. Well, that's because the anime is in the title. But the next one is Agent Ica. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> that's just uh, what, what you're getting from that deal. But I would like to see um, more people see Short Piece. I think now that it's coming out in the U.S., now that it'll probably go up somewhere is my hope. More people will see it. It's only an hour long, so even if you don't really follow anime too much, it's not going to take you too much time to watch through it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, worst case, you know, you could even break it up. You could watch, like, one thing, you know, at one point, and then go do something else and come back. It's the nature of anthology pieces. It's why I like to use them at anime conventions and uh, do panels on short anime. And I'll probably be updating my short anime panel for whatever conventions I go to later this year, which we're still sort of working on. We haven't announced anything yet, but stay tuned, folks. So anyway, that's it. If you watch this, I'd actually like to hear what you thought about it. Do you agree with my assessments of what the best ones are, or the worst ones are? Let's hear it. You can always leave a comment on our website, AnimeWorldOrder.com. We'll probably have uh, some information leading to this. There isn't very much online information about Short Piece just yet, because not a lot of people have seen the thing. But that'll change. That's going to change real soon, I think. Hmm. So let us know what you think. Let us know if 
you had already seen it or if this review is what sort of incentivized you to go out and see it. Always interesting to hear that. You can always catch us on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Daryl Surratt. Gerald's at Gerald underscore AWO. Clarissa's at Clarissa G. We've got an at Anime World Order as well. We're kind of irresponsible about checking that because I maybe only check that one once every few days. Uh, that's just for really announcing when the show is out. More or less. So, uh, but if you, if you want to hear from us, those are the ways. So anyway, that's uh, more or less going to do it for Anime World Order show number 124. Whether we'll be back or not to uh, talk about Shinji Aramaki's Captain Harlock depends on whether we think, do we really want to go through what we just said about 009 Recyborg again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put this out there. It's not as bad as 009 Recyborg. I'm, I'm going to throw honestly. it down that it, that it is bad, though, because it's Shinji Aramaki. I just said it's not as bad as 009 Recyborg. I, I didn't say anything more beyond that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> However, it is a CG feature film directed by Shinji Aramaki. That means something. So anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> if only he'd taken my advice when he was at AWA and I gave the interview and I said, could you put some transforming motorcycles <laughs> into Captain Harlock. Indeed. That's what anime needs more of anyway. <laughs>